Hello, listeners, and welcome to another podcast episode in the series, The Churches of Christ, sponsored by the Skillman Church of Christ. This is your host, John Mark Davidson. It's a pleasure to have you join us today. I have been excited about this interview. Today, we will have the blessing and privilege of listening to a conversation with Dr. Lori Honeycutt. She is a professor of history at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. And some of the topics of her research and interest are history of women in the United States, the history of the Stone Campbell movement. She's also studied extensively U.S. colonial and revolutionary history. Some of the classes that she teaches there at Pepperdine are history of the American people, history of women in the United States, And this class is a class that I would love to audit, and we actually spoke about it as we were scheduling the the, the call, but she teaches a class at Pepperdine called Baseball as American History. Baseball as American History, so fascinating to look at American history through the lens of baseball. I would love, love to take that course. And she's also published lots of articles and books Uh, She has published an article called Women, Race, and Unity in the Stone Campbell Movement. She also published in the fall of 2013, Freedom to Speak, Freedom to Serve, Women's Changing Roles within the Stone Campbell Movement. This is an interesting interview with an interesting person who studies such an interesting topic. And During this interview, we speak about women and their historic role within the Stone Campbell movement. And we also touch on today, where are we in this conversation? and What are some of the conversations that need to happen? It's, it's really a great interview. I'm so thankful for her and her time and her sharing her wisdom and expertise. And as we always do, we begin the interviews by asking the participants what their history is with the Churches of Christ. What's their story growing up in the faith? And this is her answer. My relationship to the Churches of Christ, I suppose, started when I decided to go to Pepperdine, um, you know, as an undergraduate. However, it's a, I guess it's a little more complicated than that. Um, I did grow up in the Christian churches, Churches of Christ. Yes, um, yes. So, you know, what, the cousin tradition, the sister tradition, I don't know how yes, you put it. Cousin. So, That's right. that far away. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't, it was kind of a lateral move to, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. but as, as I um, attended um, churches of Christ during my, um, career at Pepperdine as a student. Mm -hmm. And then when I went off to graduate school, one of my professors at Pepperdine said, you must attend this church of Christ that he had attended (laughs) when he was in graduate school in the same city. And so I ended up, and then that's when I realized, ah, I think I'm just a part of the churches of Christ now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And yeah. And, and never looked back, I suppose. Um, Mm -hmm. there were so many things that attracted me to it. Uh, and, um, yeah, so then, you know, when, when I've completed my PhD and started teaching at, you know, ACU, um, mm-hmm. that relationship only deepened really. Yes. Um, and then returned to Pepperdine and now attend the Caneo Valley Church of Christ. And I guess what really sealed the deal for me <laughs> is that I met the only other gentleman in his thirties that was single. that <laughs> ended up marrying him <laughs> that's still the deal that's right that's the, that, that is a strong him. strategy that's right <laughs> and he's from a you know um multi-generational church christ family so there you go <laughs> yes well, that's so curious i had no idea that you grew up in the independent christian church and what part of the country did you grow up in 
Um, a couple different places. My my family's mainly from Michigan, um, mm. but my father's something of a wanderer. So I, um, by middle school, was living in Louisiana. So I lived in Louisiana for middle school, but that's kind of a random thing. And then yes. ended up yes. for high school, we moved to Utah of all things, right? <laughs> of all places, that's right. I know, right? Um, and just kind of randomly um, for yes. my father's career. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, so then I ended up going to high school there. So, mm-hmm. you know, moved around a bit. Yes. Um, as, as a result, not a ton, but those two moves in my life that those are big, know, big time moves with that stint in Louisiana, that, that must have been an interesting time. Middle school is interesting anyway, but to be in Louisiana. In, in I know it was, you know, I, I think I was a little bewildered. What did I know? Um, <laughs> but but on the other hand, I, I feel like kind of a well-rounded person. I've lived in every time zone in this country. And, oh, wow. That's a, <laughs> and, that's a claim to fame right there. Yeah. And uh, you're growing up in the independent Christian church, I'm so curious about your perception of the churches of Christ. I mean, we're cousins. We come from the same wellspring, the restoration movement, the Stone Campbell. I mean, did you have an awareness that you had this cousin, uh, this cousin church out there, the Churches of Christ, or was that, did that just come later when you attended Pepperdine? Yeah, I, I don't think I did have an awareness. Um, in fact, sometimes I kind of chuckle as I remember um, <laughs> that, that, you know, okay, I didn't early on, and yet now I have two sisters who, you know, Mm-hmm. They went to ACU mm-hmm. kind of independently of anything else. Um, just because ACU came to the church camp, we all grew up going to, and they got recruited and went there. Yes. Yes. I, not even intentionally because they're, but here we are all at church Christ schools. I do have one more. Oh, and then my other sister, uh-huh. the third one, went to um, what at the time was Pacific Christian College, but is now oh, Hope right. International, right? Exactly. Okay, yes. so um, yeah, so we all stayed, you know, kind of in that general realm, but but then my two sisters marry Church of Christ men. And then, as it turns out, my mother's mother mm-hmm. um, attended a Church of Christ in Oklahoma wow. in her later years in particular. And yes. my her husband, my grandfather, mm-hmm. though he passed away in the mid-70s, was ordained in the Christian churches, Churches of Christ. So yes, like yes. it was just all... But but the funny thing I remember, the first time I ever heard of Churches of Christ, I can very much remember, is when my mom was taking me to Pepperdine the first time. And she said, you got to watch out for those Church of Christ folks. You know, and I had I had no idea. I think she said something. They're really radical. I have no idea. I need to ask her, what did you even mean by that? Because I actually don't even know. I just said, okay, mom. But I didn't know. That is so great. And I love that she described the Church of Christ as radical. That just, that that's amazing to me. I love it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was like the instruments thing that kind of threw off. No, okay, now I should say the final irony is my parents are totally Church Christ now. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once their kids got into it, they liked it, you know, and yeah, anyway. that's right. And, you know, yeah. I'm curious as well, because I, you know, I'm so happy to talk to someone who, who grew up in the independent Christian church, because I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cousin, but it, maybe equally so, I don't have a lot of exposure with that culture. I know we come from the same uh, line and, and some of the same fundament, fundamental truths are there. But just kind of curious as a woman, as a young girl growing up in the independent Christian church, I know that historically churches of Christ have had clear defined roles for for the man and for the woman. And sometimes women have grown up feeling that they've been limited in some of the things that they could do and couldn't do. But what was your experience growing up as a a young lady, a woman within the independent Christian church? I have a feeling it wasn't too much different from Churches of Christ. Um, I mean, I'm still developing some of my thinking on this even now, but yeah, I, I, 
I attend events related to um, Christian churches, churches of Christ, um, mm-hmm. so that I can, um, in, in the course of my research, because I want to develop relationships with people throughout the movement. Um, it assists me greatly in my research about women in the movement, which I try to keep as broadly focused as possible. Yes, yes. Um, so, for instance, the Stone Camel Journal is a really good one. They sponsor a conference every year. It's rather like the Christian Scholars Conference. Mm-hmm. Um that a lot of Church of Christ scholars go to, perhaps yeah. not as broad because it more attracts mainly historians and theologians, mm-hmm. but uh, some other folks as well. And so when you go there, then you see all the faculty from um, the Christian Church, Church of Christ, you know, realm. Um, and from what I've learned from them, many of them say that in some ways, now the Churches of Christ, are so, of course, are so varied. There's so yeah. there's such a wide range of what people are doing. Which, in a way, I think is very healthy. I mean, that's yes. that's there because all of us have our own conscience, our own relationship with God. Sometimes we end up yes. at different places, but exactly. um, so I have to speak in some generalities. But of course, um, but a lot of the, especially women I talk to in the Christian Church of Church of Christ, say that the Churches of Christ um, are maybe even a little ahead. Where, wow. yeah, no, I but you know, it, it, it kind of depends. Um, and maybe that's particularly true at the university level, mm. um, mm. you know, more in the university world of things. It's a bit of a generalization, though. I'm just saying yes. that, so I'm not yes. sure because I, I haven't researched it like enough to say that definitively as a scholar, of course. But I'm saying some have claimed <laughs> now, of course, you that's with the caveat of mm. in the Church of Christ, you got the whole whole gamut, right? That's of, true. Of, of folks who exactly. you know couldn't conceive of certain roles that women might be in versus i mean i can remember my grandmother saying women should never teach the bible wow. <laughs> and i yes. and this is after i launched my career in research and, and i remember thinking wow okay and 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 um and i i just tried to understand where she was coming from you know what's this about and and realizing so much of what we do is shaped by what's comfortable for us, um, what, what we've heard all our lives. I mean, that was true for me too, Mm. you know, coming the, all the messages I imbibed from growing up to circle back to your question. I imbibed a whole lot of messages. I didn't even realize that were being communicated Um, though. There's always nuance. I, I, I always Mm -hmm. push back against saying that, you know, women never did anything or weren't allowed to do anything because yeah it's just a whole lot more complicated than that of course, of course. um yes. and there there were plenty of exceptions to that um in terms yeah. of what women were doing and um whereas both my probably my mother and my grandmother n- never felt it appropriate to you know offer a prayer at a worship service they barely do it in their own homes you know um yes, yes. and and do other things yet they were women of prayer mm. the likes of which i have never achieved Yes. Um, And so these are complex things, you know, and I consider that a form of leadership that Mm -hmm. is so pivotal. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the theme I take in my research is how did women show leadership? Yes. Um, Yes. Well, even just I was talking to my class the other day, Mm -hmm. a a class I'm teaching on American history at the turn of the century, late 19th, early 20th century. And I had the students read an article about something called separatism, which, which was basically the idea that women were the most powerful when they formed their own separate institutions, you know, mm-hmm. their, their own, yes. whether it be a suffrage organization or a woman's college or whatever it was that, that, that those institutions nurtured a sisterhood for women, yes. mm-hmm. a kind of separate role that was based on their identity as women. 
mm. um that they you know they're because they're if you know much about American history, you know, women portrayed were as, as the more moral of the genders. And so they had, they were supposed to have this moral authority. Yes. Um, and women kind of used that and said, okay, if we have that, then we should be the ones leading in reform. You know, we should be leading the temperance movement, the anti-slavery movements, which actually gave them a certain amount of autonomy. They raised millions of dollars. Um, and, and that was true in the churches as well. Um, perhaps less so in churches of Christ. That's one thing I'm noticing because when, they didn't allow the institutions like that. So that was yes. a problem for women because they didn't have that power base, right? Although, well, and I digress a little bit. I don't want to get too, yeah. I have actually come to think in, and probably will write this in the book I'm writing right now that yes. that it, the ladies Bible classes basically were those things. Oh, I love it. I mean, it, it, yes. they basically functioned in the exact same manner that women Weird. raised money. They were involved in their communities. They didn't call it you know, the things they didn't like, like the in the early 20th century, you know, they didn't like these like ladies aid societies that some course, of the other denominations yeah, had. But the society. ladies Bible class was pretty much the exact same thing. I, <laughs> I just didn't talking, call it that. <laughs> I know, I'm just thinking about the, the ladies Bible class here at this church that I'm at, Skillman. I mean, they are a powerful group of ladies. They got their projects they fund. Every year they, they raise money for Christmas for this cer- certain group in Honduras. I mean, this you are exactly right that in some way, these lady Bible classes, they formed that community, these associations. Yeah. And, and so there were some who argued that when women sought complete inclusion into the male sphere of things, that they mm. lost out, that they yeah. actually became less powerful. Mm. Um, and yes. and um, so that's kind of a complex, nuanced thing. Because on the other hand, you could say, oh, so they should have remained separate. Well, but the problem was mm-hmm. women's organizations were often denigrated. They were marginalized. They were, you know, so it's kind of a really, so that's why they sought inclusion into the male sphere, right? So there's no yeah. easy path there. Oh, anyway, yeah. so that's the dilemma of, so that's, I reflect on that as um, there's no easy path here mm-hmm. to say men and women should exist in the same organizations, be treated exactly the same. There, there are complex nuances about what nurtures each gender Yes. Sometimes it is inclusion, right? Sometimes yeah. it mm-hmm. might be a kind of separatism as some, well, I'm- wow, I, That's profound, like, that is so profound. And <laughs> you know, uh, we're so blessed right now to be speaking to you who's, who is a historian. You know, you studied you study this, you published so many articles uh, on women's role, I guess, within the Stone Campbell movement, all the way back from Alexander Campbell, Barton Stone. And I'd love for you to speak to that just a little bit as a historian, you know, what have you learned and, and what have you observed about women and the yeah. historic role that women played within the Stone Campbell movement, not only within the United States, but across the globe? Right. Well, I have been blown away by what I have learned. Um, <laughs> I got to say, when I first embarked on this idea of I want to write, I, I, I decided I'm going to write the global history of women in the Stone Campbell movement. And I and <laughs> and I managed to, you know, get some time off on a sabbatical to start this project yes. many years ago now. Um, I don't know how long it's been, six, seven years now. Because I think uh, yeah, I think I started about 2014. Mm-hmm. And I've been building up to that, doing other projects. You'll see there were other projects. And finally, I was like, I'm ready to do this. You know, and this is going to be a great project. I was inspired by the global history that had come out. If, if anyone has not read that, they should. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful start. I'd been asked to be a part of that. And it was a great experience. I learned so much from the 13 other scholars participated in that. And yet, and they did a great job, you yes. know, with, with incorporating as many people as possible into that history. But I realized, yeah, but we still need one 
that is really focused on women as the center of attention. Mm. Um, yes. And so this is not a critique of that project. It was wonderful. Course, course. It, it, I see what I'm doing is more of an extension. Of, there's it's more it, to be done. There's inspired more. by that project in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, I got inspired. And so I started on this project, but it was kind of overwhelming because there's like 200 years of history. It's all over the world. I'm like, how am I going to do this? I just started reading, reading, reading. Um, and basically, I, I honestly spent that first year I did this just reading and researching and learning yes. and finding out, wow, this is going to be hard because there's no one place to find the information I need and I'm going to have to get creative. Yes. What I came to as I um, started trying to organize the material, what am I going to say and mm -hmm. what, what, what are the issues here? Mm -hmm. The theme that jumped out at me that I realized what I wanted to say um, to kind of focus this project and, and it has really inspired me ever since is what did women's leadership look like? Wow. in the history of the stone camel movement because it didn't look like men's wow. Great question. it looks different mm -hmm. but guess what it was just as important and pivotal to the success of the movement and i, I borrowed a little bit of theory um, from mm -hmm. some other scholars who have worked on this about how, what grassroots leadership looks like in fact one that i borrowed from um uh, oh, it, the book is called How Long, How Long? And all of a sudden I'm blanking on her name because I am sitting in front of you, the author oh. of it. it it's, it's about women in the civil rights movement. It'll come to me in a little bit. Of course, of course. Um, she developed a concept that she called um, bridge leadership. Wow. And she said, basically what you have are the public face of the movement, but yeah. behind them, you have the grassroots leadership. Yeah. Um, and she said, especially in the black civil rights movement, that was women. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that knocked on the doors of citizens of the black community and said we need you at this protest we need you at this rally yes and and we know it's dangerous we know you could die but we need you to come anyway so they're the ones like inspiring people to show up right yes i would argue that's exactly what stone campbell movement women did i'll give you an example one of the first ones that made me think of this yes was the early case of barton stone right one of the yes. earliest leaders in the movement yes and um in his, he'd been preaching for decades. And I think this happens, this event that I'm thinking of happens um, about the 1820s, I think, mm -hmm. maybe even a little earlier. Yes. I don't have my notes in front of me. So yeah, it's been a long year lately that I haven't been able to work we'll on this much. But anyway, yeah. so I'm pulling it from years ago memory. But, yeah. but this is a story that's always stuck with me. So in his preaching career, this is when he's, you know, just about to start uniting with Campbell and kind of mm -hmm. forming what we now know the Stone Campbell movement, the Churches of Christ emerged from. And yes. And um, he's approached by a woman who I don't think we ever learn her name, but he tells this story in his autobiography. And that's where I started. I started just reading these guys' autobiographies for, did they meet women? Yes. What, you know, like, what did women do? And I'm just looking for any little, like, what's there? This jumped out at me when I read it. This woman comes out to him and says, I think the way I read scripture, it says that you should be baptized as an adult. And so I think I need to be baptized. <laughs> and he says, well, I, you know, and I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but in my memory is he says something like, um, I've been thinking about that. Let me go and discuss it some with some other folks and I'll let you know. <laughs> and he comes back to her and says, you know, I think I agree with you. And she's the first one he baptizes. And yeah, that's yeah. one of the first times that someone was baptized as an adult in the Stone Campbell movement. And, and actually Alexander Campbell's story is kind of similar. You know, women played a key role in shaping his theology. You think of things like the Lunenburg letter, if people know their Stone Campbell history, which was written by a woman asking, you know, what's our relationship to other Christians? Are they still Christians? Are we the only ones? All along the way, okay, women didn't write the sermons, 
They didn't preach them. They didn't publish the journals. Honestly, adult baptism was one of the hallmarks of the Stone Campbell movement. And it came from women asking questions in part. I'm not saying it's all of them. Of course, of course. So I'm arguing just simply that women were there and they cared and they had an influence. Wow. Wow. Um, And it was a partnership between women and men, how this movement evolved. But if you're only going to look at who preached the sermons and who published the books, you're not going to see it. Of course. Of course. You're going to have to look deeper into where did these ideas come from? Where did the energy of the Stone Campbell movement come from? And on, and I've just come to see it as a partnership. And so, yes, there's a style of male leadership that's our traditional one. They've got the names, they've got the power, mm-hmm. but there's this other form of bridge leadership. You don't have a title, mm. but you're just yeah. as influential. And I could give you hundreds of examples of, course, of, of how this played out. Um, so and, and I see it throughout the history, like even how the instrumental music issue comes up mm-hmm. is all about women. It's, it's completely infused with gender. Um, really? Yeah, well, because, the way, yeah. oh yeah. Um, first of all, um, women were the musicians of the era. The, <laughs> all women were trained to be musicians. At, at, at you, it was kind of considered part of what all women did. You had to have a musical talent. You needed to be able to sing or it was, you know, is your kind of ornamental thing as women, uh-huh. right? You're just supposed <laughs> to be able to entertain people and like, yeah. Be, be able to sing or play an instrument. I mean, particularly for middle and upper class women. Of course. You know, we're talking about here, but to a certain extent, you know, there could be others as well, time permitting and resources permitting. But most of your instrument players are women, not all, uh-huh. but uh-huh. most. Yeah. Um, and so as the organ becomes more popular in the country after the Civil War, a lot of churches are buying them. Um, they were really popular among women. They preferred it you know, often. Um, and so, in, and then this happened again, and this is something that leapt out at me too, is I, I, to find out what's going on in that era, I started reading church histories. Um, and I read all of them I could find from all branches of the movement, whatever church, I'm still working on that. Any church history I can find, I get it and read it. I'm probably up to like five, 600 of these I'm going to have to read. Um, and, but it's nice. It's like surveying all these churches. What have you done? And then I learned, and I look for what did women do? This leapt out. This happened so many times. There would be a church where um, women thought, hey, we really like the organ. We, we like the music. Um, they were more likely to than men. It's not that no men did, but they were more likely to. Yes. And it was a women's organization that would often raise the money and buy an organ <laughs> with or without the permission of the church, actually, which was a whole other issue. Wow, wow. Uh, sometimes with, sometimes without. And yeah. then they presented as a gift. Look what we got for you. <laughs> and then a woman would play the organ and then a lot of times, then the church would split. Yes. And yes. so um, over that issue of whether or not that was appropriate. So what I find in that, I think that some of the reason churches of Christ were uncomfortable with organs because they were most often played by women and that did not fit. Yes. yes. I mean, that's one reason, right? It's not the yes. only reason, but it was a whole huge part of why the issue of instruments in churches of Christ, it's all infused with gender. That is so interesting. You know, as an historian, I'm so curious to get your perspective on why was why was there this delineation of leadership that where you had the men as the vocal, the the face of leadership, the dominant leadership, you know, they were the name. But then you had what I love that term is that bridge leadership where the women were actually doing such carrying a heavy load and so influential, but they didn't have the recognition as a leader. Was this contextual? Was this kind of consistent with the way that America was at that time across the board? 
I mean, how did it come to be where men did occupy this hierarchical kind of a, a perception that they are the, the lead or the head and the woman is, I guess, the helper? In my mind, it's kind of a complicated interaction between a cultural expectation and if you're going to ask me for the origins of all that, you know, sometimes it's hard to even figure it out, right? It's just something in something in human nature that that you know um, a lot of cultures throughout human history have yes. been yes. this kind of hierarchy, you know. Um, yes. And we could go into all kinds of you know historians have all kinds of theories on why <laughs> that is, right? Yeah. Um, some have said that it's because you know men wanted to control women to make sure that their offspring were their own offspring, and and you know and and yeah, so they yeah. put all these restrictions. I mean, there's all kinds of theories out there on on the psychological things happening here. But but to bring it to Stone Camel movement and other similar movements, yes, there's. Um, a few things happening, certainly. One is there's a dialogue between what your culture is already doing, which we're all influenced by. I mean, it, it's, it's, that's who we, who we are as human beings. We're influenced by the people we interact with, you know, one way or another, for good or for ill. Yes. So that's already in the ether. And then you bring that to scripture and you could easily find things that validate your views within scripture, right? If that's where you're just coming from, you can find that validation. And yet there's a whole pile of things in scripture that don't conform to that too right yes, yes in fact yes. i i'll be honest i had this moment one time sitting in a in the library at pepper and i working through microfilm looking at these i think it was once when i read a letter and i don't remember which stone campbell publication it was but somebody wrote a letter in and they published it about how you know do women really even need to come to a Sunday school class? They're supposed to learn from their husbands at home anyway, right? Aren't they supposed to just ask them? So why should they even bother coming? And I remember sitting there going, man, I mean, what? And then I'm talking to God. I'm like, why did you put those scriptures, you know, in the, why is that in the Bible? Like to just cause women all kinds of grief, you know, about not even now being able to sit there and listen, you know, I can't even do that. Yes. Yes. But you know that I, it's almost like I heard the Holy Spirit talking to me saying, there's all kinds of things in scripture to cover a whole host of circumstances over the last 2000 years, at least since the new Testament, right. And longer others that God calls us all to different circumstances. I mean, this is just what I'm, now I'm getting into wow. my, my more you know, personal beliefs about it. Yes, of course. Um, that's why I try to accept a lot um, that people are coming from different places. Cause honestly, one thing that's very clear to me is that Jesus didn't come into the world to establish gender equality. Mm. I mean, right. That was not his goal and intent when he (laughs) hit the planet, you know, 2000 years ago. Now, I actually happen to think he'd be happy with that. Right. That would be a good outcome. Um, It's just like he didn't come to destroy the Roman Empire and free the Jews. Right. It it was all, you know, you have to think about. But on the other hand, you know, was were those things important to him in a different way? Of course. Um, So. I guess I'm saying that um, scripture is a complicated thing, yeah. and yet yeah. we we all need to be. And what I think historians help people do is interrogate your assumptions I love it. that you come with, exactly. um, because we've all we all have them. And you know, and are those assumptions valid in all situations? Are they? And so, we, if you come to scripture with the mentality of it should be this way. You'll find support for that, I'm sure. You'll probably find it, right? Now, on the other hand, does that mean I think that scripture is completely subjective and you can do whatever you want? No, I mean, obviously. Yes. But on the other hand, the other thing that came to me too is God calls us to wrestle with it, right? Oh, I I love that metaphor. I love wrestle. And so I realized he just didn't make it simple because if it was simple, it wouldn't be from the heart for all of us, right? He, He 
allows us that autonomy to wrestle uh, for whatever reason he wants us to do that. And I think gender issues are just a huge example of that. That's a great uh, of an area where we will wrestle. I like to think I help people along a little bit by saying, first of all, we can recognize what women did. And yeah. secondly, we can understand why when someone proposes something that requires us to change mm -hmm. what we're comfortable with, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and we should ask about that. We should ask ourselves, why am I uncomfortable? That's a great question. Is, is it really because I think this is unscriptural or is it just not the way I'm used to things being done? Mm. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's an important thing to always ask. Um, and I wrestle with those things all the time. I think there's so many things. <laughs> that's right. Well, I'm curious where, as well yeah. to ask you about, because there's different churches that have come from the wellspring of the Stone Campbell movement. You have the independent Christian church, you have the Church of Christ, and you also have the Disciples of Christ. Mm -hmm. have, have they, and obviously we kind of know they haven't taken the same stance, but what was, what was women within each of those movements? How did it materialize this conversation within these these particular well movements. you know and and you could say i mean you could use um the expectations of women's role as a complete dividing line for yeah. these groups right mm -hmm. um, especially when it came to disciples of christ and churches of christ um mm -hmm. i think there's more nuance to the division between the disciples of christ and christian churches churches of christ there were a whole lot of cultural things happening then going on later there's kind of two different impulses in religion right there's that social justice part of christianity you know the the kind of grace part right yes, yes everyone yes. needs grace but then there's the other kind of judgment part right yeah yes. also we all are judged and I think the disciples of Christ, to make it simple, went yeah. with the grace part, mm -hmm. um, went with the we need to make society more right, you know, um, for all people. Um, okay. I'm speaking in generalities, of course, of course. They, they had blind spots. They had, you know, race was a big issue. I mean, it's all complicated. Right. But um, so they were much more open to um, women preachers. You know, they had several ordained preachers, um, though that wasn't a simple thing for them either. I mean, we're still talking yeah. about a culture that's wrestling with it. Yes. Um, women had much larger roles. And of course, this is why roughly your disciples congregations were more likely to be northern, uh, urban, yes. um, middle class to upper class, wealthier. Um, among those folks, these ideas made more sense. Yes. Um, after all, these are women that likely had more access to education, other resources, um, pros you know, prosperity in general. Yes, yes, tends to support that. Whereas churches of Christ tend to be poorer, more rural, um, Southern. Yes, um, yes. And, and some of it gets wrapped up in the sectional divisions right after the civil war. You know, these, these like poor Southern churches resent the, the wealthier Northern churches oh, in part because there were attempts at those wealthy Northern churches to punish people for supporting slavery in the South. So, I mean, there, there's all kinds of dynamics going on, right? It's, it's like all kinds of things. And the role of women gets wrapped up in that as well. Yes. You know, these northern urban churches, they're just going the way of the world, right? Yes. Supporting yes. these roles for women. Exactly. We are adhering to the true church, which keeps the gender roles in a certain place. And yes, yes. And yes. and so that's part of it. I mean, I, those are generalizations a little bit. You'll find nuances if you look more closely, but I think there's something to that. Yes. Um, so in other words, all of us are shaped by our own context. 
Um, yes. We sometimes say, well, I, you know, I, in fact, I'll chuckle. Um, I tell this story to students all the time, you know, about that tradition there once was, maybe still is for a lot of churches of Christ to have that little cornerstone that says founded, you know, AD oh, 33. And I always chuckle at that one as a historian, you know, because the, the, the implication is that nothing that happened in between has mattered at all. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That there's no other context but that. Yes. <laughs> well, that's so obviously untrue. We're all shaped by so many things. Yes. Um, yes. And and it gets really messy to be a human being for that reason. Yeah. Oh, um, I would imagine. And just you know, you mentioned that the disciples of Christ Church they began to ordain women as preachers. Like, how do you know how early that was? I mean, we're talking. Are we talking about? the the 1960s or are we talking about oh no we're talking 18 1860s but more um now rarer okay this this, it's not like this takes over um and they still have their challenges right i mean in a way they face the same challenges that that the whole rest of the country faces right now which is you know the barriers to women's leadership are many i mean if if nothing else because you know childcare and whatnot i mean it's it's all the same thing you know these are all big challenges right i think the very earliest i've seen at least of official ordinations are about the late 1860s um but then as you move into the 1870s it's a little more common though i wouldn't say rampant um Mm. this is where that separatism thing again comes in because a lot of these women said you know um Hey, and, and I'm paraphrasing again, they wouldn't have said this exact language, but we're, if we're supposedly the natural, more moral of genders, shouldn't we be allowed Ooh. to share, you know, God's gospel? I mean, so they kind of yeah. traded on that a little bit. Well, and it depends on how you look at it, because in the very, very early phase of the movement, early 19th century, you had other um, religious movements in the United States that had a lot in common mm. with yeah. Um, the Stone Campbell movement never did officially unify. I'm thinking like Christian Connection, and there were a couple others. There was one in Virginia too, and the name's going to escape me right now. I didn't get enough sleep last night to remember all these names. But um, so you had these groups that had similar teachings, you know, about um, kind of Bible only, keep it simple, reject denominational identities, yeah, and, yeah. and you had all kinds of groups throughout American religion that are doing this. Many of them pretty small, but they were, you know, kind of co-religionists here, right? They're doing the same thing. Um, but many of them went a really, really radical route. And that there were all kinds of women preachers in that. Um, <laughs> like Barton Stone worked with several because um, he had some connections to those kind of movements as well. Yes. Uh, yes. And so they don't all fold into the Stone Campbell. A lot of them actually end up folding more into the United Church of Christ where it is today and so they go kind of a more radical route right of emphasizing grace and um yeah so women's leadership there was even more pivotal and so i actually say that was one of the first dividing lines is (laughs) that early on and and it always has to do with women too i I kind of marvel at that there's always a little bit of that that's going on and i would have bet yes and so you know maybe stone and campbell aren't because campbell wasn't super enamored with women preaching um, he tended to be more of a stalwart on that. Stone was, I think, a little more flexible, but. Wow. Um, I was going to ask about that, kind of their perceptions of, of women. You know, I, I, I had heard, I don't know if this is true, that Alexander Campbell may have shifted in his theology towards the latter part. I, I don't know if that's, uh, if it's about the women's issue or it was a different topic. Yeah, than, yeah. well, he did, especially, well, that, that got all wrapped up in missionary societies, which, of course, I haven't mentioned yet, but that's a whole big thing. Um, <laughs> and, and a fascinating story in and of itself, because. As, you know, as American society grows and as these religious movements grow, uh-huh. they get more complex, right? They've got more resources. And one of the things that hits, especially after the Civil War, is 
you have all kinds of women's movements that are developing. It's the separatism era, right? Where they're developing these women's institutions. And so a lot of churches, pretty much every Protestant church, well, and actually non-Protestant church too, because I researched this among Jewish women. And anyway, it was almost universal that they would find these women's organizations. And there were a whole range of them. But some of the most popular were these missionary societies where uh-huh. the women would form their own group to raise money for missions. Wow. And every church that was any kind of church had one uh-huh. um, in one way. That's why I said the churches of Christ, right? They didn't. But then the ladies Bible class in my ass, pretty much the same thing. It's, yes. it's, they call it something different, but it, it, it pretty much operated the same way. So, which, which was great when I figured that out. Cause at first I thought, Oh, the church guys didn't have one. I'm like, Oh yeah, they did. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> right, different. right. So, so these women raised millions of dollars. It was the height of the missionary movement and it was driven a lot by women. And this only makes sense because a lot of women had a college education, but what were your job opportunities? Not many. Yes. So you could do two things. You could go into reform of some kind or another. Uh-huh. Maybe you work at a settlement house in an urban area, you know, working with the poor and the immigrants. That's one career path. Yes. The other one was to be a missionary. Wow. Um, that wow. was pretty much it if you were a woman if you're an educated woman and so hey guess what women flock to these things and then you have the male missionaries that are going to places like india and china saying we need women (laughs) to come because we as men can't interact with the women of the culture and we think if we convert the women they'll convert their children and so they thought it would be more effective (laughs) so so then you have women's organizations to start forming, like the one that the um disciples of christ form which is what partly contributes to the split between disciples and churches of christ the Christian Women's Board of Missions that appears in the 1870s, because 1874, I think it was, it's really fascinating because the these women's missionary societies had a variety of relationships to their denominations. Like some of them were just a fundraising arm. Literally all they did was raise money. Yes. But the Christian Women's Board of Mission was among the most powerful because they were the most independent. Wow. They had no official connection, at least um, let's say hierarchically. Yes, yes. To the rest of the churches now part of that's of course because you know the ethos of the Stone Campbell movement has been independent congregations yeah. so okay but they were able to form this really strong national organization that raised millions of dollars and they bought their own properties abroad they wow. sent their own missionaries they were in charge of everything in fact I have like tons of times where the men's board uh-huh. of uh, which because they had their own uh, the foreign Christian missionary society and, and others, there were a few others too, but they would send a request to the women for money. <laughs> and they say, we want X dollars. And the women say, oh, we'll give them this much, which is usually about a third or maybe two thirds, you know? And I, I just, I think that's hilarious. And again, remember this is kind of a Northern urban thing, right? Of here in the South post-Civil War, you don't have money. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's that part of the country is devastated. And so it just, it amped up the resentment. And so that all gets wrapped up in the theology, right? Yeah. Of, we don't like those organizations. And then they would say, well, they're not Christian. And, and I think there was just different incentives. Now I'm not saying that's the only reason. I, I actually, I wanna make clear, I'm an opponent of reducing someone's religious faith to purely a cultural expression. Yes. I, I don't think that's true. I, I think there's lots of things that might go into why people believe what they believe. Um, but I think what you're saying makes sense because especially in the Southern Church of Christ, there has been some foundational pillars that the church has stood for and you know one of those is anti-missionary society and then you begin to think well why why is there such a resistance to a missionary society and it does make sense now that there's there's some resentment 
given towards the wealthier northerners post-civil war and so they don't like what they they don't like them as people and so anything they do has got to be unchristian so mm-hmm. we're gonna down here we're gonna do everything that they don't do and that's uh, missionary societies and and two, uh, we talked to Richard Hughes and, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he did mention, too, that instrumental music was, in some ways, the same same vine where uh, mm-hmm. the Southern churches were so poor. They couldn't afford the organ. They couldn't afford any instruments. And so, uh, for that reason, seeing the Northern neighbors uh, flaunting their new... Well, in- and if you see that it's women that are playing the organ, oh, that seems inappropriate. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's all about gender, too. That wasn't the only thing, but it, it yes. amped it up that much more. You saw more roles yeah. for women emerging in these northern urban areas. Yes. And yeah. so in the South, it just didn't make as much sense. The, the, the circumstances made more sense in northern urban. They, women were more educated. They had more resources. It just doesn't make as much sense to sit at home. I yeah. mean, I'm not to denigrate that. Although one of, of the course. things I always like to point out is one of the more unfortunate things we've done in our culture is to reduce the importance of women's activities. Yes. That was, I think, an unfortunate byproduct of our debates over, yeah. like, the women's uh, movement, right? Yes. Um, that we kind of swung the pendulum. I think that's coming back now. I think yes. we're kind of coming back from that now Hopefully. and Hopefully. recognizing that, oh, what women do, you know, in their activities is so valuable. Yeah. Um, but there's a tension there, right? Because if you're advocating for women to be involved, well, I think of a lot of the preachers who were some of the early ones in churches of christ in the modern era yes Um, and i read one who wrote that it was women who opposed her ministry the most oh um and men were tended to be pretty supportive um by and large but women because and and she reflected on and said i was asking myself why this is and she eventually concluded that it was because and this is katie hayes by the way i don't want to take her glory but um (laughs) she's written about this um and she you know, reflected on um, the fact that she believed it was because they felt that it was an indictment of the importance of their traditional work. Oh, wow. Yes. That the, if women should be preaching and teaching and doing all these things, then all the things I did aren't valuable. And, yeah, exactly. and there's a tension there, right? Between yeah. arguing for, if, you, if that's what you want to advance, that women should be doing A, B, and C, are you then devaluing that they did yeah. You know, these other things exactly. and other times. Um, and that's a tension I see in my own like analysis of this. Cause I'm, I, cause, uh, and then there's the other way to look at it. Cause I argue, Hey, we were doing all these cool things that we kind of forgotten about, even if they weren't yeah. speaking, teaching and preaching. And then I'll get people saying, well, see, then they don't need to do those things. You oh. know, and I'm like, Whoa. Okay. I'm not saying that. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, this is where I'm like, wow. It's a, um, <laughs> Because I have had some try to use my work that way to say, well, then see women, they already have a leadership role. They don't. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know if I'm comfortable with, you know, making that logical leap. (laughs) But neither am I trying to advocate. I mean, as a historian, I do try to be the one that's giving context. I mean, I might have my own personal opinions. Yes. And if I share them, it will be, well, this is just my own personal, you know, whatever. But there there is that tension there between how you talk about the traditional role of women, because I do feel it's not helpful to denigrate it. Yes. Um, that that has been detrimental, you know, yes. in our culture. I don't think many people did it intentionally. I mean, I know some will say, oh, the women's movement, they just wanted to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't think so. Yes. I think what they resented was being told you're nothing more than this. Exactly. exactly. And, and that they were trying to fight that, which may have come across as, you know, I don't care about these things. 
Um, but oh, anyway, I digress. A great point. I mean, this is so profound what you're saying. I think, and two, being a woman, I mean, I, I just have such respect for women in general, society, and the expectation. I, I don't wish it upon myself as a man. I think it's, it's simpler to be a man uh, than <laughs> it is to be a woman in, in the, this modern world. Because in some ways, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, you have, uh, whether you stay home or mm. you go to work, you're going to have people shaming you either yeah. way. I call that so, the mommy wars. We have, there's the, They called them yeah. the mommy wars, you know, a couple decades ago, where the stay-at-home moms are saying to the working moms, you know, you're neglecting your children. Yes, yes. And the working moms are saying to the stay-at-home moms, you're not doing anything with your life, you know. And, and of course, yeah. each of those is a complete caricature that's not, because a lot of us just try to find a balance. Exactly. Um, and what yeah. I hear you saying, too, yeah. is just that posture of, of graciousness and mercy and understanding and that uh, each woman, of course, of course, is independent and the, the path that they choose is the, is the path that's good for them. And so there is a no need. There is no need to shame either way. Uh, yeah. Well, and honestly, you know, the real point is, I think God leads us to whatever will advance the gospel. Oh, that's right. I mean, if yeah. I have any personal feeling about this, it's that we probably need both types. Yes. Of Yes. Ideas about gender roles. I mean, I may have my own preferences that I think yes. should happen, um, but there are all types of people in this world. And, you know, my reading of the New Testament says that God did everything he could to reach out to people in all kinds of ways and That's sent all kinds of people. Yes. Yes. And so I'm trying, I, I try to see, we all have our room in the kingdom. That's, um, that's very well played. Yeah, because I know a lot of people say, well, you're selling out to culture if you have women participate, you know, in the worship service. I'm like, well, but isn't the point to reach people? Exactly. Like, and I, I do know, I know a lot of people, well, maybe I can be this much honest. I wondered for a while if I could stay in the churches of Christ. And that was because it was hard yes. as a woman who was educated. I felt called to talk about certain issues Yes. Um, wherever I was. And then so it felt weird to then yes. say, when I walk in the doors of the church, though, my mouth cannot open. Yes. It just yes. felt strange in that sense. Um, yeah. And it didn't seem right. You're, and, you're and so, well, yeah. is this just not my home? What's God calling me to do? And then I realized God was calling me to be a part of the conversation about what's the right wow. thing to do. Great. And that my gifts as a historian, I can bring into that and say, hey, sometimes we don't want to do certain things to to support women doing certain things because it just makes us uncomfortable mm, that's right and, and we need to say what's actually theological and what is actually just our comfort level wow that's very well put and you had mentioned earlier in this conversation that you do a lot of research with with churches all across the country i'm sure the world uh, you're out there interviewing church leaders interviewing ministers uh both both genders on on, on that on that uh spectrum and so I'd love to just also catch a glimpse of what you're seeing. Like, what do you see out there among churches right now? Where is this conversation? Uh, yeah. This well, um, and a lot of my stuff has been informal so far because I, I haven't yes. been like a super oral historian yet. You know, that's not my training, although I'm, I'm thinking about getting more into it. But I do yeah. have conversations with people. And now I know people, I mean, through through my, you know, I was five years at Abilene Christian University and now almost 20 at Pepperdine, I think, um, and going to various conferences, participating in projects, you know, talking to people like you. I just like to, you know, meet people, learn from them because that helps my thinking. And then my students, you know, who come from all over and help me sometimes with my research. Um, yeah. And I mean, the things that stand out to me, I know a lot of women now who are starting to find ministry jobs. Mm, yeah. Um, 
And I happened to be there. Oh, super close friend of mine. I won't out her, but a super close friend of mine that gave her first sermon once. I happened to be there and it was wonderful. I, I, and, and again, but I also resonate. I have close family members who don't feel that's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I try to be understanding that we're all in different places. I once thought that was terribly inappropriate in the early part of my career, right? And I think back on what caused me to reevaluate some things. Um, maybe I'm outing myself a little bit here about you know how I feel about some things, but but I see I see that happening more and more. Yes. But I return to my earlier statement though, that I try I don't like to issue blanket condemnations of those who might oppose that. Yes. Because yes. there is work to be done done among people who have more reservations yes about you know what kind of roles it, god made us all different yes. yes and and um unity is a tough thing uh yeah. and as we are cautious we've learned as a nation right i mean it's it's just a tough thing and it's not going to work unless we're able to extend grace to people in all it, as much as possible Yes, that's so, I love your message of grace and understanding yeah. and empathy. I think you're such a peacemaker. Uh, yeah. You're a peacekeeper. I think you, this is such a helpful conversation. The only other thing I'll add to that, that I also deeply yeah. believe is that we're never going to get it all right. Mm. Yeah. Um, we, we, there will always be flaws in our theology. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, if I have any critique of the churches of Christ, it, it's that they believed you could get it perfect. That's right. That's... And, and I'm like, no, you're going to screw, <laughs> you're going to screw stuff up. Um, that's right. And so we need more humility. I mean, in my, in my case, sometimes I make the calculation of, okay, um, if we're talking about, you know, what kind of roles women can take on, which is the potential greater sin to deny them roles that God would be fine with them having, you uh -huh. know, or to give them too much, you know. I, uh, wow, that's a great question. And one um, thing I want to ask you as well, you know, we're, I'm in a church right now, Skillman Church of Christ. It's in the heart of Dallas. And, you know, no one moves to Dallas for the view or the weather. Uh, you know, it's not like a place that's a, a destination place to live. You move to Dallas because you have a job or there's economic opportunity. So the people that are here are part of our church. They are highly educated. Typically, mm -hmm. they uh, they have they're very high up in their companies. And you have both men and women at, the, at this church who are, you know, there's attorneys, there's politicians, there's physicians there's college professors you know you have also of course other people as well it's it's socioeconomically we're, we're we strive to be diverse as well but you do have these very intelligent people at our church who within their own careers have not been bound per se their gender allows them to have these roles and so you know i'm just kind of curious if you would uh you know what is your response to people in the context like a Dallas, Texas, where there is, it's an urban context, affluent, uh, what's your response to, to people who say that women should still be silent and, and not be uh, able to be given, uh, you know, roles as far as teaching or preaching or how do, how do you, how do you respond to people who, who may have this perception? Your best bet generally is try to understand where that's coming from. Yes. Um, and, you know, ask um, why you know, do you believe that? Because uh, we all should be able to explain, you know, because sometimes you may not have examined it. That's true. That's true. Um, a lot of people, you know, we, we all bump along and not every issue occurs to us all the time. 
It's like, oh, why do I believe that? Yeah. As an <laughs> academic, even I sometimes that somebody yeah. will point out something to me that I said, and I'm like, oh yeah, why do I believe that? I don't know. Uh, so we all do it where we just bump along with maybe something we picked up early in our life, maybe the way we were raised. Yes. Um, the other, I mean, I'd probably try to eventually get to a place with someone of saying, um, how do you reach people for whom that will never be appealing? Mm. Yes. Yes. Are you going to tell them then that they have to change everything, every idea they have about yeah. what gender means, you know, in order to be a part of the body of Christ. Exactly. And I, that's where I'm like, I just don't see this being like the thing, the hill God wants us to die on. That's a great point. Now, yeah. if, now there are hills we can die on, right? I mean, yeah. they, they, it could be, is, is Jesus the son of God? I would die on that hill. Um, <laughs> right? Do you need to follow him for salvation? You know, I mean, now nuances there too. I'll say there are nuances to everything, but, but there are some things that, you know, I'm not going to just say, oh, whatever. Um, Yes. Yes. But everything can't be that. (laughs) Everything cannot be a core issue. So the debate is, is gender a core issue? Mm. And, and I often ask, are we keeping the spirit of scripture that's so pivotal a lot of the scriptures about gender weren't really about gender exactly. They were about how you treat people or at least, and again, I'm not a theologian. Um, um, I'm very deliberately a historian of American women who happens to study religion. Um, yes. Though that's I do feel somewhat interdisciplinary now because I am having to pick up a whole that's lot very of theology. authoritative, by the way. Because I do, I think about this all the time and that's just my personality. I feel kind of called to this to, to yes. kind of stand in there with this debate. It's not an easy one. You know, gender is foundational. When I teach women's studies, for instance, I always teach like, you know, gender is something that we all experience. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a unique issue. Like, like that everyone, no one only interacts with people of their own gender. I mean, that that would be extremely rare. I guess I'm thinking of maybe you have a nun somewhere that doesn't, I don't know. (laughs) I guess that's possible. But generally we're all, well, at least we were all born from a woman and have a father. I mean, there's some way, yes, you know, yes, we exactly. are connected one exactly. way or the other. And so this is, you know, a central issue for a lot of people. Therefore, it leads to a lot of strong feelings because yeah. it's deeply rooted in us and things that are deeply rooted. It can be uncomfortable when it's challenged. That's welcome. Um, yes. And, and, uh, and there's no easy answers either um to a lot of this like i i don't i can't give a simple thing of well if you do this this and this it's all good yeah if Um, it was already easy it would have solved you know years ago that's right like i said there was that epiphany moment when i'm talking to god about this why did you make this so hard (laughs) (laughs) ah. (laughs) why do people say things that drive me crazy (laughs) yes oh that's it's fair it's fair that happens so much in american life nowadays that we all hear things that drive us crazy and true I continually come back to what does God want us to do? He he wants us to be wise. He wants us to be gracious um, and have patience with each other. Yes. Um, And, and, um, and I, I just don't think any of that can happen if we feel like if people don't agree with us on A, B, and C, then they're not real Christians. I just think, you know, if we're all worshiping Jesus and we're all trying to win others over to him and we're all trying to help those who are hurting and you know be a light those are the central things now gender matters it's going to be tough because we all have feelings about it and uh, but on the other hand maybe we could a little live and let live and i i say that on both sides of what issue you may believe because 
I say that also to people who want more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, my congregation, for instance, had a huge debate over whether women should be ordained as elders yeah. and ended up deciding not to. Mm. Um, and there were people who were upset about that. Yes. Um, yeah. But we, you know, I talked with them and said, you know, we have to, to the greatest extent we can extend grace. Yeah. We can, we can say how we feel. We can express ourselves on yes. Yes. all of these things, but fundamentally we must remember to love. Um, wow. wow. Because you're just, why would you expect the whole world to agree with you on a really complicated issue? That's so true. That's I mean, so it, true. It's, it's unrealistic to expect that we could all come to a unanimous decision that everybody's completely happy with. Yeah. And to, uh, to cut someone off who may have a different opinion than you and say, hey, the, the, they're a heathen or you know, they're, they're backwards or whatever, in some ways that assumes that you have everything yourself correct and right. And right. Uh, you know, I think, now, I don't have a problem with, like, I will sometimes talk to people and say, yeah. well, the implications of what you're saying bother me. Mm-hmm. What about this, this, and this? It yeah. doesn't mean that you have to cease to care. Wow, that's a good point. <laughs> like, like Because I think that that seems, I, that's, if I have a problem with people who speak about unity, just saying, we all just need to come together and love each other. I was <laughs> like, uh, you're not always going to feel happy yes. about what other people believe. It's going to yeah. require sacrifice. That's right. And that's patience. Right. Um, and humility, that's like right. that I don't get everything right. So why should I expect this person oh. to get everything right? You know, yeah. even if I think they're wrong and I know they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to draw but, upon what you said earlier in the conversation, you know, maybe the sweet spot is that wrestling. You know, I think, uh, you know, maybe where we should uh, try to steer away from is just this mindset of certainty. I have everything right. But, yeah. you know, maybe that sweet spot is that wrestling and that discussion. and the, the A lot uh, of things will be thing. uncertain. I don't know. You know, yeah. people ask me about how Christians should feel about certain issues. I don't even want to mention them because I don't want to get off track. But <laughs> I'm always like, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. I can't, be, I can't quite figure it out. Well, we, we and, type on something uh, where we need to have a more, we need to have more conversations. I want to hear more of your, your conversations. And I, I also want to be respectful of your, of your time. And, and uh, but, uh, you know, before I let you go, one last question, you know, what are your hopes uh, for the church? Uh, and, and maybe even more specifically, you know, as a historian, you know, any words of wisdom or, or what are your hopes for the church and, and maybe specifically the churches of Christ? Well, I just, you know, I have committed myself to the churches of Christ. Yeah. I, I think there's so much that's valuable um, mm-hmm. in, in the heritage of the churches of Christ. Um, whether it be, you know, this, this utmost reverence for scripture that's been imbued in me from my childhood. Uh-huh. Um, and um, maybe the continual call that we live to understand each other. Yes. Within churches. Um, we may not agree, but got to try to understand. Um, I, the wisdom I give sometimes to my students and certainly to my children is you should never reject a view that you can't make the case for. Wow. That's like you good. should understand where someone's coming up, coming from well enough to you know, like say you're in a mock debate or whatever, you could take their position and argue for it. You should understand it that well before you decide, no, fundamentally, I still reject it. That's wisdom. For, for whatever reason. And so that means we're all going to have to work hard on some issues. Now, yeah. you can't do that all the time with every single thing. But if there's something that bothers you, if somebody says something that bothers you, yes, you, you're going to have to wrestle with that and exactly. say, why does this bother? You know, and so I want all the church to be courageous Yes. Um, yes. And to recognize, you know what? Who knows what God has in store for the churches of Christ? Yes. If he wants the churches of Christ to go on, it'll happen. It'll happen. 
Yeah, we can eat. And if he's decided that. that he's leading yeah. in another direction, that's okay too. It'll we'll okay. all follow along. It'll be okay. Right. And it's not in our hands in a way. I mean, I certainly believe all of us should lead where we are called. I feel called to step into the gap with people on the gender issues because mm -hmm. I think I was raised, you know, in what I, I understand. Yes. I was raised yes. that way. Um, although I wish I could talk more about my father, who's a genius. He raised four daughters and did it oh. in a genius way. Um, I could say all kinds of things. He deserves it. I've told him so many times recently that if I have faith, it's because he raised me well. He has very conservative views on a lot of things, but he raised me to think for myself. Wow. And I think wow. that's courageous. Um, yeah. And we may disagree on things, but man, the things he yeah. did to instill a faith in me that has lasted my whole life. You know, that's what we want to do for everyone, right? Um, yes. And he knew that I struggled with, you know, um, the issues about gender, you know, what, what would be my role? And because yes. I was kind of an ambitious person in my younger years. And yes. Yes. limiting. And, you know, I have different views now, you know, I'm a little more flexible, but, but I want the whole church to try to be that way, that, that um, it's going to be hard too, though. It's not easy and we're going to fail. Yes. I don't want to ha have it be, oh, we all just hold hands and it's all good. Um, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's painful. It oh, is when I disagreed with fellow church members about issues, it was painful. Yes. yes. But I had to say, well, we stick it out. I exactly. think that's what, you know, the unity of Christ means is you stick it out. Um, yes. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's so profound. I mean, it reminds me of a quote from Abraham Lincoln that he said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. Uh, this idea that, you know, there's a, there are some people that their opinions, their theology, their, their stances on certain issues, they may be diametrically opposed to where you are, but this is where the gospel comes in. We're called mm -hmm. to embrace that and to enter into the conversations and the tough roads. And uh, anyway, Dr. Uh, Lori Honeycutt, I tell you, this has been uh, a blessing and a privilege. You have blessed us so much. And I hope that we can, I, I have so many more questions now. I want to know about your dad. I want to know about the other things you're talking about. So Maybe we can schedule another conversation further down the line because I think you have blessed me today. And I know our listeners out there have been so blessed. So on behalf of everyone, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Well, thank you. This is my passion. So you have blessed me by allowing me to speak, you know, about these things I care about a lot. Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode with Dr. Lori Honeycutt. This is the podcast series, Churches of Christ, sponsored by the Skillman Church of Christ. We have more interviews on the way, so if you enjoyed this content, please feel free to, number one, subscribe to this podcast series, but also share this with your friends or family or anyone who might find this interesting. For more information about the Skillman Church of Christ, please visit our website, skillmanchurch.org, skillmanchurch.org. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you soon.